If you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, please. We're continuing our series on the power of the Holy Spirit and being His witnesses, but this is the second part to what I did a couple weeks ago entitled, The Power to Be Quiet. Because there are times in our lives when we need to be quiet. And if you're like me, there's times when you need a supernatural power to be quiet. So, and one of those times is when we're going through storms. One of the best things that we can do is to be quiet. And we looked at this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. For to this you have been called. So if you want to know what your life is going to look like, what your purpose is, here's one of them. All right. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And in parentheses, I have in mind, he was quiet. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He was quiet, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And Acts 1.8, I'll just remind you about this, and this is the reason that we need the Holy Spirit in our life and the power that he offers. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And, you know, I, I just used to think that you know, we would just be his witnesses, but that's not what it is about. I mean, it is, but there's a process that we have to go through. There's a transformation that has to take place in our lives because, I I mean, I know how the Lord found me and I didn't look very much like Jesus. And I'm pretty certain that was true in your life as well, right? You didn't look very much like him when you got saved. You know, the reason we get saved is because we know we need him. And So it's important that we have this understanding. Um, And I don't believe it's in us, in our humanity, to be quiet automatically. Um, Especially when we are being wronged or we're going through difficult times. And especially when we're going through all of that and we don't understand what God is doing and we don't understand why we have to go through what we're going through. Anybody ever been there before? I mean, we all have. And if you haven't, you're going to. And that brings me to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's telling us and what we're to do. But just let me remind you, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. Okay, and he says to rejoice. And then he says, and I'm going to tell you again, rejoice. So he's trying to get a precedent here, but then he also talks about 
not to be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You know, it's hard to be complaining when you're giving thanks. You know, I, I, I've never been able to complain and give God thanks at the same time. And so these are the words of encouragement that Paul has to them. And so I'm confident that it applies to us as well. And he says to do all of this because the Lord is at hand. And he talks about being reasonable. And have you ever tried to be reasonable with people who are unreasonable? It just doesn't work. And what I have found in my life that unreasonable people are the people that live according to their emotions and according to their feelings. They're always giving into that. And so when you're trying to be rational with them, they don't get it because their feelings and their emotions aren't rational. And so it's important that we understand that. And when we're going through the struggles, when we're going through the unfairness of life, the injustice of this life, we have to remember that the Lord is at hand. And, you know, during worship this morning, we were encouraged to remember the cross. But, you know, we need to remember that God is with us through it all. Remember what he went through and know that he's not giving up on us. We're not going to go out on our own. And in here, he tells them not to be anxious, which means that they obviously had opportunity. They had reason to be anxious, right? And I'm sure that you're going to encounter those times as well. There's going to be times in your lives, in our lives, when we have the opportunity to be anxious, but we have to choose not to be. And this is where true transformation takes place in our lives. When we are faced with wanting to react one way and knowing that that way isn't the Lord's way, and so we're faced with a choice we're faced with a decision. Which way are we going to go? How are we going to respond to the situation that we're in? Are we going to respond out of our emotions and out of our feelings? Or are we going to respond out of the truth of God's word and, and the direction that he's giving us? To be God's witnesses, which is what Acts 1.8 calls us to be, then we have to be willing to be transformed. And part of transformation is saying no to our ways no to our will, no to our feelings, no to our emotions, and yes to God, and yes to His Word, and yes to the direction that the Holy Spirit is giving us. It is denying ourselves our wanting to react our way, which is with our natural understanding, with our worldly understanding. Being transformed, we're going to say no to those. Now, let me ask you a question. Anybody want to be transformed? You know, we say we do. You know, we say we want to be like Christ, and then we're given these opportunities to not respond and not react like the world does and like our feelings want us to. And then, but do we do it? And that's why I believe Jesus said what he said, because he knew we needed the Holy Spirit, because he knew we needed. His power to be quiet when we want to lash out. And as I was going through this, I was thinking of um, how our mouth gets us in trouble a lot. 
And now, I'm not going to, I'm going to read two scriptures out of Proverbs. They don't pertain to anybody in here, but you know who they pertain to. Okay? Proverbs 17.28 says, and this is one of my favorites. Proverbs 17.28, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he chooses and when he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. And so there's benefit in not opening our mouths. And then a few verses down in Proverbs 18:2, it says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And it, you know, I don't mean to be rude or anything, but isn't that the way of the world nowadays? They express their opinion, and if you don't agree with their opinion, they get all bent out of shape, and they get mad at you, and they're angry with you, and they want to shut you down, and you know, do all kinds of things. And it's over an opinion. But if and if you have an opinion that lines up with God's word, you're the devil. You know, you're preaching hate speech now because you're saying what God says. There's a challenge not to react like the world. Because when we act like the world, we're saying that we don't trust God when we're going through our difficult times. And this is why it's so important for us to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to teach us to be able to be quiet in the times of our struggle. And, you know, it's harder for us when we're being unjustly accused of something because we want to make it right we want people to know no this isn't right you know but he says we've got to learn to be quiet we have to learn to entrust ourselves to him who judges justly i'm going to go through a few people here and, and i don't have a lot of scripture for them but i just want to remind you because as i was going through this I'm, I'm thinking of a few people that were able to keep their mouth closed and good things came from that the first one is, is Joseph uh, back in Genesis. And I think of how Joseph and how he was able to stay quiet when he was wronged in every way. And if you want to read his story, it starts in Genesis chapter 37. There's a few breaks in there, but it really goes to the end of the book as well, chapter 50. But he was a man who trusted in God and then allowed God to bring justice to his life. And he didn't try to make justice happen. He, there was a point in his, his life when he simply trusted God. He didn't have to defend himself. He didn't have to uh, try and reason everything out. He trusted God. And it all started when he revealed the dream that he had from God to his brothers and then to his uh, parents and that they were going to bow down to him. And his brothers in particular took offense to that. And so uh, one day his father sent him out, sent Joseph out. He was one of the younger ones to see how his brothers were doing who were tending sheep and stuff. And so he found them. And when they saw him coming from a distance, they decided at that moment, which they had already planned this, to kill him. 
And then at the last moment, they spared his life and they sold him into slavery. Okay, well, long story short, he makes his way down to uh, Potiphar's house in Egypt. And he's a slave in Potiphar's house. And then we find out that Potiphar, in his wisdom, sees the favor of the Lord upon Joseph. And so he puts Joseph in charge of his whole household. And he, he realizes that whatever Joseph touches prospers. And so he's, he's smart enough to realize, okay, I'll let him take care of my affairs. And so everything is prospering in, in Potiphar's life. And then Potiphar's wife, uh, apparently Joseph was good looking. And so she wanted him and she was after him. And Joseph resisted. And then the last time that we have of his resisting, he actually ran out of the house from her. So he's doing all the right things. He's doing all the godly things that he's supposed to do. And then he ends up in prison because of that, because she wrongly accuses him of raping her. And prison isn't then isn't like prison today, you know. And so he's in prison. And while he's in prison, obviously God is working on him. And you never hear him complaining. And so he, he finds favor in Potiphar's house when he's in prison. He finds favor with the prison manager, master. And so he puts him in charge of everything in the prison. And then with Joseph, he um, the uh, cupbearer and the, was it the butler? They come in and, and they have dreams or they get thrown in because of what they did. And then he has or he interprets their dreams and one of them gets out and one of them is killed. And then he says to the one that's going to get out, remember me. And so he gets out like the next day. But there's another three years before he remembered Joseph. And the reason he remembers is because now Pharaoh has a dream and his men can't come up with the dream. He wanted them to come up with the dream and then come up with the interpretation. And his people couldn't do that. And so this guy remembers. He says, wait a minute, when I was in prison, there was a guy who knew dreams and could interpret them. And so they called for him. And so Joseph, by the grace of God, tells, the, tells uh, Pharaoh what his dream was and then what it means. And there's seven years of great harvest and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And so they have to prepare for this. And so Pharaoh is so awed by this and God that he puts Pharaoh in charge of everything for Egypt. And so for the first seven years, he's taking care of everything and he's building things and, and he's preparing for the seven years of famine that's going to come. And so while he's in prison, he doesn't say anything. He, he trusts God. And I just wonder how many of us being in Joseph's situation would have been screaming at God. God, I thought you told me that my brothers and my parents were going to bow down at me. How are they going to bow down at me? I mean, you know, the list is endless of all the things that he went through. And I'm giving you a short version of it. And we act like it happened in days. It didn't happen in days. It was over years. I believe it was 17 years in all of this. I mean, like, how would we handle it? We can't even handle it for a day. And yet Joseph was able to be quiet. So you know God was with him. He was wrongly accused. 
And even during the seven years, he remained quiet. And then his brothers have to come looking. Their dad sends them because they're almost out of food and stuff. So he sends them, hey, we hear about Egypt is okay. So go down to Egypt and get some food. Make a long story short, they have to come in front of their brother. Well, he looks like an Egyptian now, so they don't recognize him. And he does some things with them. But just, you know, trying to get his dad, find out if he's alive and if his younger brother Benjamin is still alive. And through all of that, he remains quiet. I mean, what would we have done when you see the people who wanted to kill you and instead of killing you, they spare your life and they send you to uh, slavery? Wrongly accused during slavery. You'd want to have justice done with your brothers who did this. I wonder if he thought how many times, you know, I wish they would have killed me. That his life would have been a lot better, easier, if, if they would have just killed him rather than sold him into slavery. I mean, that's what we would have thought. And yet he remains quiet. And then, make a long story short, they come. And, and there's salvation that comes. And his whole family has moved down, all of the Israelites. And um, there were 700 of them when they went into Egypt. There was over a million of them when they came out. So we, we don't always understand what God is doing when we're going through things. But the key point that we need to know is, is that if we're going to follow Jesus, it says that he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's what we need to keep on doing. We need to keep entrusting ourselves to God, knowing that God judges justly. And that's why I read out of um, Philippians about the peace of God that surpasses our understanding because you know what if you're going to walk by faith somewhere down the line you have to give up your understanding of what God is doing in your life because if you understood what God was doing in your life you wouldn't need faith I mean think about Joseph in in his situation I mean he has this dream that his brothers and his parents are going to bow down before him and and you know doesn't look like it in the natural, you can't understand it. And he remained quiet. And at the very end, what's so amazing to me is, is that um, when he finally reveals himself to his brothers, they're all scared now because they think, oh, he's going to kill us now. And he says, no. He says, look, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And then they have a great time and then their dad dies and then they're worried about him again. Well, now Joseph is going to let us have it. And Joseph says again, he reminds them again in tears. Now, wait a minute. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And then he adds this part on for the saving of many. And so I say that because if you don't understand what God is doing in your life and the circumstances in your life, just relax. Relax. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just keep trusting God. Trust in Him that He's with you. You know, we read out of Isaiah a couple weeks ago that when we go through the waters, He's going to be right there. When we go through the fire, we're not going to get burned. We're not even going to smell like smoke. 
But the question is, is are we able to stay quiet like Joseph did? And what a testimony because he was able to stay quiet. The second person that came to my mind was David. He remained quiet because really nobody knew about him. You know, when God is going to appoint somebody as king, calls all the sons before them, and David's out tending sheep, and Samuel hasn't looked at all of them, and God has rejected all of them. And it's like, well, do you have another son? And it was like, oh, yeah, we do. Like, what do you mean, oh, yeah? But, you know, they never considered that David might be king. When they, when in the natural, when they looked at him, they never even, it never even dawned on them that this guy could be king. So why call for him? But make a long story short, David's anointed king by Saul. And then, you know, what would we do? We would announce it to everybody. You know, we got this ministry now. Oh, well, great. You know, I, I just love the simplicity of David. And it says that he was a man after God's own heart. And so he's anointed king over Israel. And then he's like, okay, great. And then he goes back and he tends sheep. You know, all of us, we would have had a committee together. We would have got our presidential committee together. We would have, you know, figured out how we're going to do all of this. We would have figured out how we're going to get rid of Saul. You know, we would have been in the planning stages and David's so simple-minded and so trusting of God that he goes back to tending the sheep. And then he comes in and he kills Goliath and Saul gets all bent out of shape, you know. And whatever David does, he's prospering in. He's, he's finding success in. He's a warrior because he's been tending sheep and he knows how the enemy works and how he comes in to try and steal those sheep and he's figured it out. And so he's doing a great job and you know, you have to think that when he goes back to tending his sheep, he's staying quiet. He's trusting in God. And then every success that he has, he doesn't go after Saul. He just stays quiet and he's trusting in God. Trusting in the timing of God. And I just wonder how many of us, you know, God calls us to do something and we think, oh, we got to do this right away. Do you know how many years it took between the time that God anointed him and, and David became king? I believe it was 10 years. How many of us would have lasted that long? How many of us could have stayed that quiet? You see, when you trust God, I'm here to tell you that there comes a point in your life when God exalts you. You don't have to exalt yourself. And the thing that I really love about David is, is David and his men, they had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to kill Saul, and they never did it. And David got so mad at somebody who cut a corner of his robe off. I mean, that's how... And, and that's, David is the one who talked about not touching God's anointed, not speaking against him and not trying to do harm to him. 
And so what he's saying is, just stay quiet. Let God handle it. Trust God. You know, years ago when I was a first young in the Lord and stuff, and these speakers came to the area, and I had never been to a thing like that, and so I went, and uh, it was James Robeson and uh, Winky Prattman, if you know them. And um, one of them said, trust God or die. And it was Winky, and he was sharing. And, and his point was, you're either going to trust God or you're going to die in the natural. Because we have to be a people who trust God. And I remember walking out of the arena, and the Lord spoke to me. And this is probably, I don't know if it's one of the first times, but I remember it distinctly. And he said, trust God and die. And I knew what he meant. That if you're going to trust God, that you are going to die to yourself. It's not or. You know, Winky wasn't wrong because he was talking about it in a different realm. But God was letting me know that if you're going to trust me, you are going to die. You are going to die to your ways. You're going to die to your understanding, your power, your wisdom, your manipulation. You're going to have to die to all of that if you're going to trust me. And that's what David saw. David realized this. And so he remained quiet. And, and I just wonder, you know, we would have got the press after them. Well, you know, King Saul's doing this. King Saul's done all. Samuel anointed me as king. You know, we would have had our reasons to get him out of office. But it's a matter of trusting God. And when you trust God, you're trusting his timing too. You see, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be quiet, to be still, and to be defenseless when we are being sacrificed. The end of a sacrifice is death. And I remember my father-in-law used to speak and share when he was preaching. He said, sacrifices don't move. When they're... When, if you're dead, you're dead. And how many times have we been sacrificed and we get up yelling and screaming and crying and belly aching? <clears throat> Being able to be quiet reminds me of Abraham and Isaac. This is one of my favorite stories. It's symbolic of God and Jesus. When God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, he says, and he's the son of promise. And so Abraham, the next day, gathers everything that he's supposed to gather and um, has everything. They go up, they start the journey because God says, I'll show you where to go. They went three days and then he saw the mountain. And so. Abraham leaves his servants behind and he says, me and the boy are going to go up and we're going to come back. And so they go up and this is what I love. They're, they're both quiet. And, you know, I've shared this story before and I don't know if, if Abraham was smart. He, he didn't tell Sarah what was going on. He was quiet then. Uh, honey, I got to go. 
me and Isaac are going to go up to the mountain. We'll be back in a little while, but we're going to go, well, what are you going to do? I don't know how he answered. I can't wait to ask him. But it, it's interesting to me that Abraham, it says the next morning, he gathered everything together and they started going on this journey. And then they get to the place where they separate from their servant and it's just Isaac and his dad. And so Isaac asks his dad, he says, Dad, he says, where's the sacrifice? I see the wood, I see the fire, but I don't see the sacrifice. And his response is, the Lord will provide. And so they walk up and Isaac and Abraham, they don't say anything, or at least not that's recorded. And then when they get up there, and this is the amazing part to me. I mean, I don't know what Abraham said to Isaac to get him to trust him, but I, uh, Abraham builds the altar. And then it says that he bound Isaac and laid him on the altar. And I can only imagine that Isaac stayed quiet. We don't hear that he said anything like, Dad, you sure you heard from God? You sure this is right? You know, I'm your only son, the son of promise. You've told me that all my life. You sure? How's, it, how's anybody going to come from me if you kill me? I mean, he doesn't say that. He remains quiet. And I just wonder how many of us, first of all, would have remained quiet, and second of all, remain quiet while your dad binds you up to lay you on the altar. And then what do you think when he raises the knife? I mean, like, you know. I mean, I, I'm trusting that his eyes were closed. Isaac's anyways. And all of this takes place and, and they're quiet. And, and then in that quietness, as Abraham raises the knife up and is ready to slay him, and then the Lord intervenes and God provided. And it's all symbolic of God offering Jesus to us as our sacrifice as well. And, and, you know, when I think of Abraham and Isaac and how they both remain quiet. Our Heavenly Father and Jesus, they remain quiet when they were doing this. When Jesus was becoming our sacrifice. If you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 12, please. When Abraham was trusting God and Isaac was trusting his father Abraham, then this was a transformational moment in their lives. But it wasn't just in their lives, it was for our lives as well. <clears throat> and I want us to understand that what we do when we remain silent isn't just for us. There's a transformation that goes on in us, but it's not just for us, it's about other people too. Because other people are watching our lives and, and we're a book to them. And they're watching to see how we're going to respond to different situations in our lives because what they're looking for is they want hope. They want to see Jesus. And if Jesus is going to be revealed in you, then you're going to have to be transformed. You're going to have to go through some hard times and you're going to have to learn how to be quiet. When you, especially when you don't understand. Especially when you're being wronged and accused and it's unjust. You have to know how to be quiet. And others will benefit from our silence. 
when we want to scream injustice. And I just want to remind you, Jesus left us this example that we're to follow after. But I just want to remind you of Romans 12, 1 and 2. In Paul's writing here, he says, <coughs> excuse me, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And, you know, that just so in, intrigues me because a sacrifice is dead, but he's calling us to be living sacrifices. In other words, we're, we're to be living dead people, dead to our ways, dead to our selfishness, and alive unto God. So we're to, to present our bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so not only are we, not, are, are we to become a living sacrifice, but we're not to be conformed to the world. And he says that the way you're not conformed to the world is by the renewing of your mind, which includes being quiet when you want to scream out. When we're going through the struggles of life, we need to know that we can be quiet, we can be still, and we can entrust ourselves to God who judges justly. If you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53, please. You know, when, when you're being accused of all kinds of things, you know, just stay quiet. Let God take care of it. He'll, he'll vindicate you. You know, I remember, and I've shared this before as a young believer, when I read that about uh, at a first Peter. I made a vow with the Lord and I said, Lord, I said, look, I said, I'll make a deal with you. I said. I'll entrust myself to you who judges justly if I've done nothing wrong. But if I have done something wrong, you need to speak to me and I'll go make it right before you defend me. Because there are times when we're going to miss it. But when we're when you haven't missed it, you have to entrust yourself to him who judges justly. In Isaiah chapter 53. If you've been a believer for any length of time, you should know all of this, but I just want to read it starting in verse one, Isaiah 53, one. And this is speaking of Jesus. And he says, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And so Jesus didn't look like a king. He didn't look like a savior. I don't know what a savior is supposed to look like, but he didn't look like. He looked like an ordinary person. And no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. In other words, we looked at him and we thought, OK, God's pouring out his wrath on him. And he did. Verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. And this is what Peter's referring to. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so I just want to encourage you that when you're going through difficult things and when you don't understand the circumstances in your life and why these things happen, why you're being accused of certain things, just relax and stay quiet and keep trusting. I found out that when we trust God and we stay quiet, then God does a deep work in us and He's transforming us into His likeness and image. And we begin to walk in that new life that God has for us. But again, I just want to remind you that the real truth is it's not even about us. Yes, God is doing a work in us, but He's doing a work in us so that Christ can be revealed in us, so that Christ can be revealed to this world through us because the world is looking for real Christianity. Paul says that we're the hope of glory to this world. Well, if we're the hope of glory to this world, that means that we have to be Jesus to this world. And part of being Jesus to this world means that when we're wronged, when we're going through struggles, we have to learn to stay quiet, to be quiet and stay quiet. Let God fight your battles. In Isaiah 53, verse 10 says this. We'll skip down a few. It says in verse 10, yet it was the, the will of the Lord to crush him. <laughs> you think Joseph's figured that out now? Think David's figured that out now? Abraham, Isaac, all of the patriarchs, they figured that out. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. In other words, he's saying that as Christ becomes and does everything that God wanted him to be, and yes, he's going to be sacrificed, but he's going to live forever. Isn't that awesome? Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And that's exactly what he does. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And, sh and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and this is what I love, and makes intercession for the transgressors. You see, God was doing something in him. God's going to do something in you. But it's for this world. Amen.